Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ. I'm your host, Will Hunsaker, and today I would ask you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Now, this is going to be one of those times when the translators of the Bible gave us a bit of an untimely break. This often happens. When a chapter begins with therefore, remember there were no chapters or verses in the original Greek. So did their best to break up the chapters and what they figure were complete thoughts. This probably wasn't one of the better ones, but the text is still there. We just need to make sure we stay in the right context. So what we're going to do with chapter uh, five with verse one is we're going to include just the last verse of chapter four. We could go a lot further than that, but this will give us the context we need. So. Paul begins in, now just a a quick reminder, chapter four was a lot about shedding the old self and putting on the new because you've been um, made alive in Jesus Christ. You were once dead. Now you've been made alive, put on that new self. So it's all about living out that reality of what Christ has done in your lives. And we're going to continue with this thought. So Paul says, verse 32, he says, so be kind to one another compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's chapter 4, verse 32, chapter 5, verse 1. You see that therefore began the chapter, so it probably wasn't the best place. But anyway, so Paul is giving us an idea what an imitator of God looks like. He says it at the end of chapter four, he says, kind, compassion, forgiving. Well, why is that? Because that's what Christ is. So we're supposed to be imitators of God because we are in a union with Christ. He is in us. We are in him, sealed in spirit. And moreover, Paul says, God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's the big reason. So we are to savor this union with Christ because of what he has done, not because what we do as imitators of God, but because of what Christ has done for us. That's pretty much the gist here. This was a promised gift in eternity past. That means it was a covenant agreement that Christ would come to do these things. This is a union we have with him that is covenantal, very important. So verse two continues and walk in love. This is that agape sacrificial love. And he spells this out. He says, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Sacrifice, right? An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's verse two of chapter five. So the image here that Paul is giving his readers is of those Old Testament sacrifices where they would burn something on the altar and it would create a sweet aroma that was pleasing to God. This is a, an illustration because it was pleasing to them, pleasing to God. So this sweet aroma, though, that pleases God, the sacrifice that pleases him, doesn't come without giving something up. Okay, An animal is dying. A life is being shed. Blood is being spilled. As an intimidating thought, this may present that we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be sacrificial. 
it should bring a measure of comfort because we often think that resisting the darkness should be easier for the Christian, but it really doesn't work that way. We, in many cases, make it more difficult because we're still focusing on horizontal things rather than vertical things. So our lives are still rooted horizontally rather than looking at someone much greater than ourselves that made everything right for us with him through Christ. These types of things, though, require sacrifices by us in our own lives to show gratitude over what Christ has sacrificed. Now, we're not doing it for merit but to live out the reality of what he's done. This this is basically the heart of the gospel, folks. Just as Christ loved us and substituted himself for us, sacrificed himself to God for us, we can't really begin to understand the gravity of that. So Paul is saying that there might be times when we should put something to death about ourselves for others. So it's all about loving your neighbor, remember? All the way back. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving. This is that compression that Christ gave of the commandments. The last half of the commandments are loving your neighbor as you would yourself. Basically what he's saying here. And we've all had that Garden of Gethsemane moment where it's very difficult on us. We have to admit something that we were wrong. And uh, that makes it very difficult. We, we say the same things or think the same things Jesus did on a much smaller scale. Man, I wish this cup could pass from me because I really don't want to admit to my wife I was wrong or whatever the case may be. It happens. So Paul continues, verse three and four, and we're still on the same type of thinking. He says, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you. That pretty much puts us all out as it is proper for saints and there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but instead giving of thanks. So once again, these are all things that would pretty much disqualify everybody. These things are terrible ways to live, Paul is saying. They're self-driven. There's no redeeming qualities in there. Yet, we still walk in this darkness. We are what uh, Martin Luther called simul lustus et peccator, or simul for short. It's a common theological term. And essentially what it means is that we're simultaneously saints and sinners. That's all of Romans 7. We're already, right, already forgiven, already sanctified by Christ, but not yet complete. All this darkness still haunts the steps of the saints to remind us that we are still sinners. All the sexual immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among us. So just it constantly is reminding us that we're still sinners and we need a savior. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to quickly turn to Christ. That's what sinners do. This is the first use of the law, folks to show us our continuing sin and our constant need of a Savior, not to merit us any grace or to uh, make us better Christians or to make us, you know, but God like us more. It is to show gratitude for what he's done because we will remain until Christ returns simultaneously sinners and saints. Now, in verse five here, Paul gives a pretty harsh warning and it's horrifying, really, 
He says this, For this you know with certainty, that no sexual immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, if you think about that, that means we're all disqualified. This is a proclamation of who is not eligible to gain eternal life in the presence of God. That's everyone. He just, everything he, he, he explained there, everyone does, if not by deed, but by thought. So it's pretty simple. Everything he explained, sexually immoral, impure, greedy, idolater, we're all little idol factories. None of them have, anyone that has those has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Everybody is guilty of sin and therefore condemned to be eternally separated from God. So verse five, not to be a broken record here, but it disqualifies all people who are apart from Christ because we're simultaneously sinners and saints, right? If you've been forgiven, all those things have been forgiven you. So if you're in Christ, it's a much different story. He's explaining, if you're not in Christ, this is your destiny to be apart from God. Now, we just read in verse 32 and verse 1 of this chapter, what a loving, kind, compassionate, forgiving God we have, right? He's saying this is who Christ was when he died on the cross. We're supposed to emulate that. But now Paul gives the Ephesians and us a list of what not to do. So at this point in Paul's message, Christians need to have that firm grip, which we've talked about many times, of the distinction between what is law and what is gospel. Both of them have very, are very important, but also have a very different action. So our salvation does not rest as Christians. Our salvation does not rest on what we do. Instead, it rests upon Christ and what he has already done. Very significant here when you read verses like that. You're, you look at that and go, well, I'm out. There's nothing I can do. But remember, that is to show you that you can't do anything well enough to earn salvation. So Paul continues with this warning in verse 6. He says, see that no one deceives you with empty words. Don't let them tell you you can work your way into this. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So those things he listed in verse 5, that's why God's wrath comes about us. We're all idolaters. We're all impure. We're all greedy. We won't inherit the kingdom of Christ and God on our own. So this verse is a big deal. Why? Because being a sinner, and I just said that, an idolater, greedy, immoral, that's all of us. It brings the wrath of God. And again, this is everybody. He's making that very clear, Paul is. Now, the question that often comes up at this point is, well, if I'm a sinner, but Christ has already saved me from sin, can I not just sin all I want then? Because I'm forgiven, right? Well, Paul confronted this same type of thinking, this thought process in his letter to the Romans. I think it's a good point for us to point, a good place for us to point this out. In, in Romans chapter six, verse one, Paul says in addressing this question, why can't I just sin all I want? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That's 
verse 1 of chapter 6 of Romans. Paul provides the answer. This is a rhetorical question. He says, far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So once again, that's a very good law and gospel distinction. You live now because of what has been done for you and in gratitude out of that. We, we do things because we want to, not because we have to. So the response to the question, can I sin all I want? Well, the response to that then should be, do you want to? If Paul continues his letter to the Ephesians with this, chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. That makes perfect sense. Because of the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ, Paul encourages the Ephesians not to participate in things they once did. He says, live out the reality of what Christ has done for you already. He says, for once you were, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light as you try to learn what is pleasing to God. Folks, verses 7 through 13 are some of the best advice given in scripture for someone who walked in darkness for many years. That was Paul. He, he was constantly persecuting the body of Christ for many years. This is his advice he gives to us now. We are very good at pointing out how others live in darkness. Very good at that. But in reality, we should focus first on ourselves and live out the reality of what Christ has done for us. That is the example that we should take first to show that we are good illustrations of the image of God. There is no merit in walking in the light. Only our loving display of gratitude to a sovereign and holy God who sacrificed his son on our behalf. Can you imagine that? We cannot stand at the base of the cross. Look up at our Lord nailed to a cross and say, thanks. Now I can do whatever I want. Remember, Jesus suffered and died for the darkness in which we no longer walk. Now, Paul closes these verses with some parallels here and some quotes from Isaiah. Verse 14, he said, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Remember, Christians, you who were once dead are now alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening.
Now, next up on Open Your Bibles, we'll turn to chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, where Paul will continue this theme of how to treat others because of the grace God has poured out on us. Grace and peace. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything different today than it did back then.